0: This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit newsfeed.com. So, what do we have? Well, it's July 12th, and we've got some great news from a great sector. Our friends, our whalers, Carisha and Nick, are here. How's it going, Nick? Why don't you kick us off with our top line stories?
1: Sure, I can start us off. So, our first story is yet again scrutiny of online fundraising platforms, particularly those associated with the two major political parties um, within these United States. So um, there's been a flurry of new articles and press about the two platforms, um, Windred as well as ActBlue, which are donation procurement and fundraising platforms used by the two major political parties in the 2020 election. So after a New York Times expose highlighted potentially deceptive practices, um, was released this past April. Um, These platforms have garnered new scrutiny um, as four Democratic state attorneys general have actually opened inquiries into assessing whether these platforms uh, knowingly deceived the public. Um, So, this is a very important to development to follow. This could have big implications um, for the sector, for and potentially generate new guidelines for what's ethical or not when it comes to um, deceiving people in donations. I'll I'll say that some of these allegations are are much more serious than just uh, you know kind of aggressive you know, advertising, um, to the point where I know I've seen some forms, um, from the WinRed platform, not saying ActBlue is perfect here either, but I've seen some forms of the WinRed platform in which the checkboxes to opt out of recurring donations were so small, they were almost, um, (laughs) unreadable, uh, you know, it's labyrinthine to attempt to opt out of these things should you want to donate. So um, just something that all nonprofits should be wary of and follow um, this narrative in that, you know, um, attorney generals and legal experts are are looking into these platforms.
0: It's so interesting because it seems like one of those tiny decisions of a checkbox or, hey, are we accepting this information? And you could imagine being in this room where the, the only thing that is critical is closing the deal tomorrow. How do we get more money before the deadline? We have to hit this number in it. It's true on the left. It's true on the right. It's true in nonprofit and for profit as well, that sometimes we can be blindsided by the near-term quarterly demands of hitting our numbers, making the, and meeting the emergency. When you are in that room in that conversation you're essentially making a trade off if it's certainly at the level of deceiving people with hiding a checkbox that then takes enough money from them in the hundreds of millions of dollars where you're then getting reports that people can't make their rent which is brought up in this article you have gone way too far um, and it's important that you think about the the near term versus long term relationship and when you make that trade off of like let's let's like note these people let's make it a little tricky to do this cuz i know i can make 10% more What you have essentially done is traded a near-term, almost Pyrrhic victory of getting a touch more money and think about the frustration of those people. Who do you think they need to go back to? Who do you think is going to be using those win red and act blue forms if they were frustrated? What do you think they're going to remember the last time they gave? What was that experience like? Is that worth an extra 10% or I guess hundreds of millions of dollars at this point? If you need to go back to that audience. So you're trading off and make sure you know that when you're you're doing any sort of deceptive, especially around your donation form, type of tactic that exchanges near-term gain for long-term relationship. It's an interesting article.
1: Absolutely I recommend uh that you actually read this article thoroughly. Um, and it's actually really sad because, you know, um, the, the people who were victims of these forms were often folks with maybe lower levels of digital literacy, particularly people, you know. Over um, the age of 55,
0: in, I think it was. Um, yeah, particularly
1: older folks. Um, yeah, it, quite, quite sad, actually. And let's
0: be clear, like what it is, it's like, do you pre-check the checkbox, make this a monthly gift? Or do you then change that to, you know, bi-weekly gift? Like all those things can happen in the code and you claim that they had uh, the checkbox checked. So you're covered if they did it like, oh, no, it's a pre-check thing. Um, You know, we'll see what the attorneys general feel about that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so our next story um, is... Another kind of, uh, (laughs) not necessarily a a great story, but just um, some news that Frontline SMS has closed after 15 years. So Frontline SMS, for those unfamiliar, is a professional SMS messaging service um, that provided a primarily free platform for folks to communicate via SMS. Uh, the, the program itself will continue to be free um, via a fully open source software on Windows, Mac and Linux. But um, the frontline SMS CEO um, had writ, wrote in a public release that our products have been continuously used by community groups, service providers and national governments alike, reaching tens of thousands of people a year. Over the last 15 years, we've supported users in 200 countries around the world with primarily free tools and support. So it just kind of goes to show the reach of this uh, social impact tech here. And George, you know, I think have a little bit more context about the tool. So I'll let you jump in.
0: Yeah, I, this was, um, you know, maybe not national news at the highest level, but I feel like it's amazing to appreciate, you know, 15 years of creating a product that served so many through health and application of technology and leaving it as a, an open source legacy is incredible. Uh, I'm trying to chase down uh, Sean McDonald um, and and have a conversation about it because I think it's wonderful wonderful to hear a full journey uh, of what happened and lessons learned, tactics uh, employed and, and maybe missed uh, along the way. But uh, SMS, I think, again, continues to be, in my opinion, one of the most underutilized technology, mediums for communication um, at our disposal, because it's a little expensive and it's a little bit difficult. We've had in the past on Twilio and Twilio.org uh, talking about their programs. But, you know, if you're, if you're, if you want my, like, Hey, what technology should we be looking at? We're not looking at. And you want me to like blindly say, I'll say SMS. I'll absolutely point you in that direction. And I think, uh, you know, gosh, you know, looking back frontline did a, frontline did an incredible job opening up a lot of, uh, people to access um, at affordable rates for for developing a, amazing tech um, that have helped uh, countless communities. So, hats off. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO, content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, we really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com university. All right, Krisha, what do we have on our summaries?
2: Yeah, I can read off a few of our summaries we have here today. The first one reads, black women push for racial equity at nonprofits. Um, and this is an article from the Washington Post that really just kind of outlines a survey and kind of a narrative of black women within the nonprofit sector and particularly in leadership positions who are finding that they're not being paid as much as they, as perhaps their white counterparts um, and are also experiencing um, some perhaps microaggressions or discrimination in the workplace despite kind of uh, these specifically named foundations and nonprofits going on and racial equity journey. Um, So some exciting stuff happening, um, especially in the wake of the uprisings uh, around George Floyd and Black Lives Matter. Um, But yeah, just some interesting stuff here, some interesting numbers.
0: Yeah, great to see the Washington Post putting this out there and surveys being done. And uh, clearly, when you're on your your journey, you haven't gotten to your destination yet. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, one thing to, to let folks in the room and another to let them lead and let them lead fairly with uh, equ- equitable pay. And the thing about the nonprofit sector, everyone, is that it's all available um, in that 990 um, that we have access to then um, anyone can find. So, you know, if you are sort of Curious about sort of pay and salary ranges and pieces like that. You know, one of our former clients at Whole Whale was Cause IQ and you can go do searches, go take a look if you're, if you're curious about counterparts at different size uh, organizations and, um, and then, you know, share your findings, have the conversations. Yeah,
2: exciting stuff. Our next headline reads, Gates Foundation staff are, quote unquote, freaking out about the nonprofit's future as Bill and Melinda divorce, an insider reportedly said. Um, This is from news.yahoo.com. And they were able to get an inside look into um, just kind of how staff are freaking out a little bit, especially as it relates to, quote, the credibility and standing of the foundation, um, which they believe is in jeopardy, especially after recent sexual assault allegations, um, or pursued sexual affairs, as they quote it, uh, staff are just a little bit worried amidst those kind of news and also their divorce. Um, so hopefully just maybe a little bit more anxiety within than on the outside. Um, but we've been kind of tracking this journey for a while now. Um, and interesting to hear an insider, an insider opinion.
0: Yeah, I mean alleged internal sources are one thing. I you know, I included it with a bit of hesitation, uh, because some of it is sensational and it's just what the media does to pray around it. The the story under the story is look, there's a you know, clearly a little consternation, confusion, um worry among a staff of people when you've got a, a family foundation in essence, right? And there's a divorce. This is uh Potentially, uh, an asterisk on saying is this the best way to model major foundations? Is it best to have you know billionaires say like I can set this up and I'll have my family run it? What could go wrong? Not saying anything is going wrong here, but this is not uh, an isolated event. I've heard of other family foundations that it, you know essentially go through extreme volatility as a result. And, you know, frankly, what does that actually mean? There are folks that are hanging on every drip and drop of news. If you are a Gates funded organization, multi-year funded, um, they have set the stage for incredible standards in philanthropy. They've done an amazing job leading. And so part of me is actually kind of sad to to see this type of narrative starting to, to take hold, uh, but also maybe um, a good warning to the hyper consolidation uh, of wealth and foundations and putting it all in, you know, the, the sort of one savior, uh, especially if it's leaning on a relationship.
2: <laughs> Touchy stuff. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. Um, cool. And then our last headline reads uh, how nonprofit leader, Catherine Howarth, hopefully I'm saying that right, got HSBC to swear off of coal. Um, so this is a nonprofit leader, like we said, Catherine, who is really targeting um, big banks and finance organizations and companies um, to kind of lower their uh, CO2 emissions and become just a little bit greener. Um, they kind of asked her why she was going after these more white-collar businesses that maybe aren't in the business of spewing a lot of carbon emission. Um, but they raise a really good point in saying that um, a lot of these banks, although may not be direct uh, causing causers of carbon emissions, but they do hold a lot of power in the economy. So, just thinking a little bit more critically about the domino effect of the decisions that these big banks and finance companies make.
0: Absolutely smart move, following the money, and it's not isolated here. But her. Um uh, her project around the carbon disclosure project has a lot that can be learned and modeled saying like, follow the money. You know, are you sort of playing in the corner of the corner of the landscape, putting up signs? Or are you realizing that there are billions, upward trillions of dollars being put to work in even sort of what seemed like, you know, hey, here's our basket of funds that, you know, distribute blah, blah, blah. And by the way, if you look at it, 30 percent happen to be, I don't know, folks drilling for oil using carbon, transporting oil, like, okay, what does it mean when you give that company, those companies more capital to deploy in terms of the uh, exploitation of resources that lead to like, you know, the the ruining of the atmosphere? You're like, okay, should, you know, we focus our work here or there. And I love this upstream look, and you're seeing increased pressure on social impact investing and backed funds, um, you know, green funds that uh, will hopefully increase over time and, you know. Find your institution, put pressure on them, follow the money, see where it goes. And I quote Hamilton. All right, Nick, what do we have on the feel-good stories?
1: I have a good one. This is from Forbes. And this article is about an incredible young woman named Ashley Priory. Now, Ashley Priory is something of a chess chess. I don't know prodigy, um, but um, at a young age became very, very talented at chess. And you know, throughout the chess world, has challenged misogyny and you know perhaps ill-conceived notions of what you know a uh, a great chess player looks like. And this uh, young woman has, at 21 years of age, um, run for office, published three books, and founded two nonprofits. One of which is called the Queen's Gambit Chess Institute which gives chess education to students primarily in the Pittsburgh area, but has also expanded since the pandemic as it switched into virtual chess teaching. So just a great story about a young person who, uh, you know, grew up in a community, fought challenges, and is paving the way to make others, uh, to allow others to have greater access to a sport that she knows and loves
0: really great. And you see this sort of net effect of what does it mean when Netflix rolls out the queen's gambit that has a female lead in a predominantly male environment as even the fictional character here. And that effect is that you raise the profile and opportunity for organizations like this, um, leaders like this to sort of jump on that wave. And they've taught over 10,000 students uh, since uh, 2018. And it's, it's wonderful. Right. And I think The opportunity is to think about as we get micro-targeted content, very niche content, where you have the major players of Amazon, HBO, Netflix, and the like, creating these like very interesting cultural phenomena. Where does your nonprofit fit in there? Is there an increased potential opportunity to take one step to the left and say, hey, we could educate around some of the fundamentals talked about this? Because I'll tell you what, it's much easier to ride the wave, then make the wave of attention. So, fun story. Thanks for pointing it out, Nick. Nonprofit News Feed, nonprofitnewsfeed.com. We do a great summary, if if I do say so myself, of news every single week from the nonprofit sector. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, Carisha. This has been Using the Whole Whale Podcast.